You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Amen. Amen. So it's crazy how our bodies are interconnected, right? That they're, uh, they're, your, the leg is connected to your arm and, and that the one pressure point on your foot can release some tension in your neck and, and it's these ideas, that, this reflexology and stuff that for a long time I was super skeptical, right? Uh, until we moved to Taiwan. And then when we were in Taiwan, we were introduced to Eastern medicine and, and it was so different. There was a lot of crazy stuff that people told us to try and told us to do, and one of which was acupuncture. Acupuncture was everywhere, and there was a doctor nearby that we had went, went and saw as a family, and, and he did acupuncture, and so one time I thought, well, I would just like to try this, see what it's like. And so I felt perfectly fine, but I went to the doctor and, and learned the Chinese word for acupuncture, chin zi, and so I went in and say, uh, I told him, um, uh, Ni hao, chingewa zinji, which I order acupuncture because I wasn't very good at English, but I could order things at McDonald's. Or I wasn't very good at Chinese, but and so I ordered acupuncture, and he didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Chinese, but he understood. And so he took me in the back, and so I laid down on the table, and he took a needle. And he stuck it in my ankle, right in the, the bone of your ankle, the part that's sticking out. And, and you can imagine, it felt like what I just described. He stuck a needle in the bone of my ankle, right? It, it hurt. And I was like, oh. And so then he does it on the other one. And then he works his way up my body, he gets to my knees, gets to my hips, puts it in my shoulders, my elbows. Then he gets to one, and he puts it right in the center of my forehead. And as you can imagine, that feels like I just described. Someone sticking a needle right in the middle of your forehead. And, and then he told me, through, you know, hands to stay there 10 minutes. And so he left. Came back 10 minutes later and he pulls these needles out. And you know what? At the end of 10 minutes, I feel the exact same except for I'd been poked 12 times with needles. And so it wasn't all that great for me because I felt fine going in. But it was interesting over that two years when we would have a sickness, when we'd have a cold, uh, when my kids would uh, have a runny nose and a cough, we would go and we would sometimes try this. And he would put a, a needle in their elbow. He would do something with their thumb. And all of a sudden they'd stop coughing. All of a sudden, their nose would stop running, and, and they, were, they were healed. And it was, it was crazy, and I still can't explain it, and I don't fully understand it, but it was amazing how your body is interconnected. And so I share this uh, as we get to this passage about the unity of all this working together. And there's a video, Dr. Connery, Cassie Connery is a, a chiropractor that attends here at church, and her whole family is chiropractors, and her whole family attends here. Her sister Jen, her dad Steve, uh, they're part of a family practice. And so uh, Dr. Connery, we've had this conversation with her about the amazingness of how your body is interconnected. And, and so we actually got a video of Cassie talking about that, uh, that we wanted to share with you this week. My name is Cassie Connery. I'm a chiropractor here in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, I primarily see pediatrics and families in my office. I've been practicing for about 10 years. When you look at the body as a functioning unit, you have to look at the brain as a control center. So it's constantly sending messages through nerves to all the tissues, organs, and cells in the body. It's also receiving that input back. Interference is really common. When 
we look at the amount of stress that's in our lives, chemical, physical, and emotional stress, it's really difficult on our nerves and it can compromise the messages that are being sent to and from the brain and it can be muddled and misinterpreted and that can cause dysfunction and disease. Our bodies have an incredible amount of healing potential and I'm always remembering a quote that says, the power that made the body heals the body. We were created with a beautiful uh, complexity and an innate intelligence that allows our body to heal. We're self-healing mechanisms. And when we're caring for our body and free of interference, communication improves. And whether you realize it or not, your body is able to better work together and achieve a higher level of health. It's no wonder that God describes the body uh, of uh, the church as the body of Christ. The Bible describes it and as Jesus is the head and that we're the body because it's all interconnected. And so that's what we're going to look in this morning is this idea of this unity of coming together that Paul's been writing to the, to the Ephesian church and to the church in Ephesus and he's now talking about bringing together. That we've been given gifts and we've been given spiritual gifts and for a purpose. And that purpose is this unity. And so we're going to look at that unity. If you have your Bibles, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you have the journals or uh, hold up on an app, we'll have it up on the screen too. But I also want to just encourage you, have it there in your hand. Engage with God's Word. And so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, as we dive into this idea of unity. There was a, at the turn of the 1900s, there was a, uh, a Chinese uh, Christian church leader, and his name was Ni Taoxing, and his translation would be Watchman Ni. And Watchman Ni was a very wise man, a very uh, in deep man, and so he wrote a lot of things, and one of the things he talked about is, in our Christian walk, there are three stages. There is sit, walk, and stand. And so as we dive into the book of Ephesians, you can see Paul illustrating these three points that Watchman Nee probably got that from the writings of Paul, that the beginning of Ephesians, the first three chapters, looked at a lot of doctrine issues. It was at the stage of sitting. Sitting in, in, our, in our spiritual walk, the church of Ephesus is sitting in the fact that they have been saved, in the fact that Jesus has redeemed them. Sitting in this reality that there is neither Jew nor Gentile anymore, and that they are all one, and that there is one God that died, or one God that sent his son to die for all of them. And now as we transition to chapter 4, we're going to see Paul is leading them to now the stage of walking. Of what does it look like? What does the action look like? Now that you understand the doctrine, now what? What does that, what does that go to? And then in chapter 6, we're going to get to the stand. Standing firm against the, the spiritual battles that are, are all around us. And we'll see that in chapter 6 in a few weeks. But right now, we're at the stage of walking. As we dive into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Some translations might say, as a prisoner of the Lord, therefore. This idea of therefore or then is a reference back to what Paul has already shared. He's written this letter to this church in Ephesus. These are his friends. These are people he spent two years with. These are people he's walked this journey with. And he is telling them, up to this point, I've been giving you doctrine. I've been telling you the foundations of your faith. So therefore, because of that, in light of that, which I've already told you, now I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. It's important that Paul is making sure that they know this is in light of what you have learned. 
That they're not to live as Christians out of ignorance, but live as Christians with a knowledge, a foundation of doctrine. It's the same message for us, that we need to live our Christian life based on the doctrines that we see in the, in the Bible. But this is God's holy word. This is the word that he has, uh, has preserved for thousands of years for us to be able to read, for us to learn from, for us to study, for us to obey. And instead of getting caught up in modern ideas and in what a, a podcast or an author or this new theory might say, come back to the doctrine that has been established by God, not by man. And so therefore, this is how we're to live. In light of what the Bible says, this is how we're to live. It says verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As I came to this verse, it was funny this week, uh, I've, been, I've had a headache for about a week or so, and, and on Tuesday we were loading up in the car and the whole family, and Isaiah, my oldest son, said, Dad, Mom says I have what you have. And, and I told him, I said, what is that? Incredible good looks? And, and he said, no. He just looked at me and shook his head. He's like, no, a headache. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, then my seven-year-old, Henry, says, Dad, just to be clear, I have your incredible good looks. Isaiah just has a headache. And I was like, thank you, Henry. And so this humility might be something that at the Curl House we're going to need to work on uh, that, that Henry and I might need to dive into. But this idea of humility is, is putting others first. It's putting Christ first, others second, and ourselves third. That, that is this idea of, of putting the Lord before us. And so he says with humility and, and gentleness or, or meekness, that it's not, gentleness is not to be overpowered. Gentleness is power under control. God, Jesus was described as meek, and yet he had the power to overcome death, to overcome Satan. He was very powerful, overcome demons and, and all the things that were coming at him. He was powerful, but he was under control. Be patient. Some translations you might have says long-suffering. I like that word because it's, the word just describes what it is, is. Is suffering, coming alongside someone and suffering with them, even if it's for a long time. This is what the body of Christ is to be. This is what unity looks like, that if someone is suffering, that we would suffer with them. And that we would not grow weary and not turn away in the midst of the hard times, but be there for them day after day, week after week, year after year. Continuing to cry with them, to walk this journey with them. That we would be there for them in long suffering. And so Paul says this is what it looks like for us to be unified based on what we have learned. So verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And this is important, I love this. The unity of the spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon all of them. Holy Spirit has come upon us as, as we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Spirit has come upon us. And so this idea of unity is saying that the Holy Spirit that's inside you and inside you and inside you is inside me. It's the same Spirit. There is unity among this. That's the same Spirit in each one of us. And not just each one of us here at Discovery Church, but the church down the street and across state lines and into another con country and another continent. We are all unified in the spirit, and let us keep that. Not turn away from that and, and try to go in our individual means, but have this unity of the spirit. 
As the church leadership, we've uh, worked through the book Experiencing God because we've been looking, where is God leading us to lead Discovery Church? And so the elders and the staff and the operations team all work through that book. And, and then we're meeting this coming week, next Sunday, to, to look at where is God leading and this is idea that the unity of the Holy Spirit, I hope, will be speaking to each one of us. That we will hear the same thing and we will pursue where God is leading. So we're praying for the unity of the Spirit. And if, if you'll pray with us for that as we look to see where God is leading our church. Paul then continues, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. He's looking at things that unify us, that, that there are different, uh, different beliefs and that people might have different preferences in, in music or this or that that's caused churches to split. But, but Paul points out there are some essentials that we are unified in. He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if we could leave this up on the screen to see these ones, these are some basics of the doctrine that Paul is holding on to. That he says there's one body. This is the body of Christ. This is the church in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles. This is the church of Discovery Church and every other church throughout time and throughout any continent and country. There's one spirit. Like I said, that same Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you that was dwelling inside that person in Ephesus. There's one hope. This is a reference to the return of the Lord. That he will come and, and he will take his church up to heaven. One Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and lives for us. There's one faith. There was this basic doctrine of faith that, that was taught and guarded and, and committed to that was shared with others. We see this in 2 Timothy. And so this idea, this basic doctrine is all based on the faith in Jesus Christ who was sinless and took our sins upon him, died on the cross and conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death and enabled us to have salvation. One baptism. The baptism here Paul is talking about is the baptism of the Spirit coming upon us. That as believers, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Spirit on us. And then, one God and Father. Paul often looks at God as, as the Father of this family. This family of believers that you and I are part of this family. We're the children of God. That even Jesus, as he shares the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't open with... To my Father who is in heaven. It's our Father who art in heaven. That each one of us is part of this family. And so Paul looks at these common beliefs that we all have in unity. And then he looks at how are we different. That each one of us is different because we've been given different gifts from the Lord. And so it says, he continues on verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul is referencing back to uh, Psalm 68. And then he adds, what does he, and I love how in parentheses, like Paul explains this. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul is just letting us know that Jesus was in heaven and he came here to earth and he's gone back to heaven. I'm just laying that out for us one more time if we've ever missed it. I love the message version of this passage. 
The message says, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy and seized the plunder. He handed it out, he handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up to the highest heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. God gave us each a gift. We have this unity in the one body, the one faith, the one spirit. And in the midst of this body, he's given us each a different role, each a different gift. For each one, each individual, he has chosen to have a specific gift. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, how come I can't do that like that person? How come, how come that person has this gift from God? Oh, I wish I had that. I feel that every time we have worship. I'm a horrible singer, and so I, every time we, we have worship, and I just think, oh, man, I wish I could sing like them. They sound so great. But that's not the gift God has given me. It's not the abilities God's given. I love Bill Heitfield shared this idea, this idea of an artist. Uh, a portrait, and Bill Heitfield is one of our elders, and he shared this, uh, this idea that uh, an artist is, drawing, is painting this beautiful masterpiece. And the artist is in charge, and he's putting the different colors where they belong to make this all put all together a beautiful work of art. But imagine if the colors could have their own opinion. And the yellow that was used as a highlight in the, the background of the picture wanted to be on the, the forefront, wanted to be the prominent color of the lips on this portrait. It would look weird. It would be awkward to have this beautiful picture with bright yellow lips. But it's not awkward for that yellow to be the background of the sun setting uh, uh, over the horizon. That the artist knows where each color is supposed to be to make this beautiful masterpiece. They know that they're part, the, each color is part of something bigger, that they're meant to be put together to be created what God has already planned for this masterpiece. And the artist gets to decide which color goes where, not the other way around. The artist knows where that yellow will fit best in this picture and they place it there for a reason. And if the yellow was removed, the painting would be missing something. Even if it's the most, not the most prominent part, it would be missing. So the artist knows that. And ultimately, the painting isn't about the yellow in the sun. The painting is about the artist that put all this together. And so God is the artist and this all is put together that our gifts and our abilities and our spiritual gifts are put together for God's glory for one reason, to bring him glory. And so together we are all part of this masterpiece. Or rather it's as Paul is talking to the Ephesians and he says, Jews and Gentiles, you're brought together. For us, it doesn't matter our background, our race, our, our socioeconomic, uh, the countries we're in, all of this, all believers are brought together to be part of this beautiful, bigger masterpiece, the story of God to bring God glory. And so sometimes we get caught up even in our own churches. Well, how come that person gets to do that role and I'm not allowed to? Instead of realizing, God, where do you want me to be? Where's the place you've placed me to make this beautiful masterpiece? 
And so as Paul is writing, a, a, we get into this part as we're talking about this unity and then the gifts. And then we kind of look at, okay, what's the purpose of these gifts? And, and, and the, verse 11 and 12 kind of break this down for us. Who, is, who gave these gifts and to who? Verse 11 says, so Christ himself gave. gave. So it was Jesus, it was God that gave these to us. And he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Meaning that each of us individuals, he gave a gift. Christ cared and gave a gift to each individual. Verse 12 is the why. Why would he give this? To equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. That this is to bring glory to God. That we are to be able to do these gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has placed in you and in your life to be able to bring him glory for service. And I love this connection that Paul is saying. He lists this group of leaders, right? But then in verse 12 he says, he gave these gifts to these leaders to equip his people for works of service. So often we think, oh, well, that's not my job to reach out. That's not my job to talk to that person about Christ. Uh, let the pastor do that. No, no. Paul is clear. The leaders of the church were meant to equip the members of the church to be the works of service. That each one of us is called to reach out at our work or at our school or at our home or in our neighborhood to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and love on the people and point them to God. The works of the ministry is not fulfilled by the church leadership. It's fulfilled by the church. And so he continues on in verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's calling us in our, in our spiritual walk to now no longer just sit, but to walk, to stand, to take action in what we have learned the first three chapters. And now what's it look like to be a mature believer? He says in verse 14, this is what it looks like. There will be no then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every kind of wind of teaching and by, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Are we maturing in our faith? Are we walking closer to him than we were before? This is a question that kind of hits home for each one of us. That if you're a believer in Christ, which many people here are, let me ask you, are you more mature in your walk? Are you deeper than you were a year ago? Have you, do you read more of the Bible? Have you dove into his word? Is your prayer life more rich? Are you closer to God than you were? Are we maturing in Christ? And if the answer is yes, then we need to continue on that path. But if the answer is no, maybe we need to get real with Jesus and figure out how are we going to become more mature in Christ so we are no longer infants, so we are no longer tossed back and forth because there's so many modern world views that are, are infiltrating not only our culture, but many churches. And so these world views are infiltrating and we aren't turning to, to the Bible in our maturity in Christ. We're just turning to the loudest voice. Let us go to the scripture. Be mature in Christ there. And he closes out this section. Verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. This idea of a whole body coming together. Each part does its work. The, the body needs the foot, it needs the hand, it needs the arm, it needs the leg. It, it needs every aspect of the body. As Dr. Connery was sharing that there's the head is the central, central nervous system. Jesus is the head. And then every other part works together, functions together in unity. And without this unity, with, with, we would be missing. It would be very clearly missing if we were missing a foot or missing a hand. It would be very clearly missing in the body of Christ if one of us wasn't to follow through with what God has given us. Then the whole body of Christ is lacking. And the purpose of our gifts, the purpose of what God has brought us together is to bring him glory. So each part is important. There's a song we're going to close. Uh, we're going to sing uh, after this message, and and it's a beautiful song. It's if you've been around church very long, you you probably know two hymns: "Amazing Grace" is one, and this is the other. But it started in 1885 with a poem by Carl Boberg. He was a Swedish politician, and and he was walking home from work one day, and a storm came. Uh, he was on a seaside town, and a storm came and just quickly came in, and it was just bellowing thunder and and gushing and gushes of rain. And so he went and sought shelter and had to hide out from the storm. Then there was a, a lull in the storm, and he ran to his home, and and he got there, and the storm had passed, and he opened his windows to overlook the sea to get the fresh air in. And he was just struck with this moment as he watched the sea calm and he heard church bells in the distance and then further back was the bellowing of the thunder rolling on the hills as the storm passed. And he sat down and he wrote this poem about God's power and his might and the rolling thunder. Well, this poem he, he published and he had published in the local newspaper there and, and someone really liked it and, and it began to spread. And remember, this is pre-internet days. It was hard for anything like this to spread, but it still did. And it, <coughs> it was translated into German and from German it was translated into Russian. Well, when it was translated into Russian, there was a, an English missionary to the Ukraine named Stuart Hine. And Stuart Hine was in the Ukraine, and, and he came across this, this poem that has now been connected with a, a, a melody. And it was in, in Russian, and he was so moved by it that he wrote down this Russian song, and he translated it into English. And Stuart had a magazine that he spread out to other missionaries to 15 different countries. And in this magazine, he published the Russian version and the English version of this song. A missionary in India that was receiving that magazine was so moved by this song that he began to teach it to the people that he was ministering to in India. And so they began to sing the song in English and, and the, the people were overwhelmed by it there as well. Well, then J. Ed Edwin Orr was a missionary. He was an evangelist that was touring India, and his whole focus was on preaching the gospel. He didn't enjoy music very much. He was not concerned. But as he heard this Indian choir, children's choir, singing this song, he was so moved by it that he said, I got to write this down. And so he wrote down the words, and he got the music from the choir master, and he took it back with him. And so then when he was touring America... He was speaking at a college conference. And he, at the end of his speaking, they sang this song. And it just so happened 
there was two students, siblings, that were among those college students. And their dad was a singing cowboy. Didn't even know that existed, but there's a singing cowboy that traveled with Roy Rogers, and he also owned a Christian distributing company. And the kids said, Dad, you got to hear this song. And so they got it to him, and, and he was so, and he loved it so much, he quickly got the rights to it, and he got it in the hands of George Beverly Shaw, who was the lead soloist for the Billy Graham Crusades. And he presented it to Billy, and Billy loved the song, and it became their anthem for many of their crusades. And in 1957, he went on this crusade, Billy Graham did, in Madison Square Garden for 16 straight weeks. And on this crusade, over 96 million people heard the song and sang it. Fast forward through time, Elvis Presley ended up recording it in 1977 and won a Grammy. Carrie Underwood belted it out at the CMAs in 2011 and brought the whole crowd to tears. It's a beautiful song. Originally in Swedish, it was Oh, stood good. But in English, it's How Great Thou Art. And this beautiful song that's touched so many lives, has brought millions of people closer to God, would have never been in our hands when it be sung this morning if at any point well, someone along that line didn't listen to the prompting of the Spirit didn't listen to what God has placed in their path, wasn't willing to follow through and be touched by the Spirit and touched by the song. And then likewise, this song had such a crazy long path from Sweden to German to Russian to India to a singing cowboy and to Elvis Presley. But it's one body coming together. And this song is one example of what it looks like for all of us to be the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning and this week as you go about, what has God called you to do? Perhaps it's not to be the prominent part of the portrait, but maybe the yellow in the background of the sun. Maybe it is to be the prominent red on the lips of the portrait. Each color is there for a reason. We are all part of God's masterpiece to come together as one body. From the church in Ephesus to Discovery to the church across the way, across the ocean. All of us are one. If you'll stand with me and let me pray, and then we'll sing, How Great Thou Art. God, we thank you that you've come and you love us so much to send your son. And God, we are united in, in this, as Paul describes, one body, one faith, one hope, a hope of heaven that is that we have a, a one Father, one God. And God, we thank you for that. And God, this morning as we are brought together in unity here in this building, let us look well beyond these walls. This story is not about Discovery Church. This story is not about the church in Ephesus. This story is about the body of Christ of which we have the honor to be part of. God, you are great. How great you are. Amen.